Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday Gatherings podcast. Each week, we invite a guest presenter from the Shambhala community to talk about what is meaningful to them or to share a brief Dharma talk. These explorations range from the reality of impermanence, death, and the unknown to how we express and work with joy, contentment, and fearlessness in our daily lives. Presenters offer a guided meditation or contemplation practice and invite reflections, comments, and questions from participants about the poignancy and complexity of our shared journey on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering podcast. Okay, so welcome everybody. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us for this Shambhala Sunday gathering. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the Shambhala Sunday gatherings, each week we invite a guest presenter to talk about Dharma, lead us in some practice, or talk about something that is meaningful to them. Um, and we have here Johan Martin Brown today. So thank you for coming. Thank you for presenting. Um, and at this point, I think I just uh, would like to, yeah, officially welcome Johan and Johan Martin Brown. She is a longtime student and teacher in Shambhala. She's had particular interest in the way that teachings can be applied to how we work with our financial resources for the past 20 years. So. Thank you so much, Johan, for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to this one. Thanks so much, Nina, and welcome to everybody. Uh, it will be probably no surprise to those of you who are joining a Shambhala Sunday talk that uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today um, in terms of cultivating fearlessness around money um, and working with uh, different reactions, working with fear, and working with a sense of sanity um, around money is based on meditation. So uh, we're gonna, meditation and mindfulness will be a big theme today in today's talk. So why don't we start by doing a little sitting meditation? If you would just find a spot, for yourself. I'll ring my little gong here. And just beginning by taking a moment to feel a sense of your body. However you're sitting, whether it's on a chair or a cushion or laying down, just feeling your quality of being in your body right now, sense of your mind and physical sensations being one. Sometimes we have to kind of notice that we're rushing in from somewhere or notice the different kinds of thoughts that are arising. And just come back to actually the sense of your body, a direct feeling of it. 
And you'll notice your breath is coming in and going out. And just having a sense for resting your awareness with that wherever it's most accessible to you. Just a light touch on your breath. thoughts come up, which for most of us they will, that's fine. You don't have to stop them at all. You just notice that. Just gently bring your awareness back to your physical sensations and your breath. So we create an atmosphere of kindness and accommodation for whatever we find while we're meditating. Hopefully we do that in general, but meditation there's really a particular emphasis on sense of openness to whatever our experience is. It's not necessary to judge it or think there's a right way and wrong way. There's a quality of Just spaciousness, gentleness. Allowing yourself to be however you are right now. As your mind settles a bit, we open a bit, we might notice the environment we're in. Not necessarily that we have to pay attention to something in particular, but just notice that we're in a larger environment of wherever we're sitting. We might put a slight amount of attention on our out-breath as it goes out and dissolves to the environment. Just noticing that. Mind wanders. Just come back. In this case, particularly to the sensations of the body and the breath dissolving. Our bodies are always present. Sensations of our bodies are right now. We can always tune in with this present moment when we feel our bodies. And in a minute, 
we're going to end this few minutes of meditation. But I'd like to really encourage you to keep coming back to the sensations of your body, keep coming back to a sense of your body and mind together, right in your environment. Sometimes with Zoom, it's easy to forget our bodies. And certainly when we're talking about things like money, it can be really easy to forget our bodies. So we're just feeling that one more time and making that intention. Thank you. Nice to spend a few minutes practicing with you. So today, fear, fearlessness, and money. Wow, what a charged subject. <laughs> I'd like to say a couple of things about what I'm not, um, which I think is really important. I'm not an expert on money. And uh, I actually read a lot of people who feel like they are. They often have very differing opinions, but their information and their insights are interesting. But that's not at all um, what I consider myself. Uh, I am simply somebody who's, uh, as Nina said, really interested in the way that our very powerful Shambhala teachings have um, are, are helpful to us in this charged uh, subject of money and the whole kind of human experience of fear around money. So I also wanted to say something about fearlessness in case you were hoping that by coming to this talk, uh, you would find that you no longer experience any anxiety around money. <laughs> Unfortunately, being human beings and subject to all kinds of vagaries of our minds and larger than that, our society, uh, that's, that's not actually what we practice. What we practice instead of trying to stop fear, which is kind of a way that a lot of people in our society deal with it, you know, either ignore it or stop it or go shopping or get angry or resentful or a whole lot of different reactions to fear. Um, we're really going to talk about some teachings and practices that Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche gave us about uh, beginning to make friends with fear and beginning to take a look at how it operates in our financial life and how we might actually be able to move beyond that, not permanently, but starting to understand how to ride that energy, starting to understand how to work with it within our relationship to money. And I'm saying starting, but actually many of you know probably at least as much as I do about working in that way. So that's, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And I would like to have this actually be um, an exploration together because I feel like this subject, I've been interested in this subject for more than a couple of decades. And I feel like uh, 
just scratching the surface. There are so many uh, much more deeper ways we can understand about going into how um, how to create not only financial well-being for ourselves, but how this affects those around us and how uh, our society, which frankly, I, I don't know if you would all agree with me, but I think is completely crazy around money and actually creates an atmosphere of uh, anxiety and fear and constant sense of insecurity. So um, that's what I'm interested in. I'm really interested in us um, all being uh, explorers in this way because we're really needed. Uh, I want to say something about um, fear and why it is that fear is so often a huge, um, uh, I don't know, accompaniment to working with money. And part of it is this sense of society. We swim in an ocean of anxiety around money. And uh, if you don't agree with that, just turn on the news or pick up the paper. Nothing like a good stock market, you know, crash to really like make you notice if you hadn't noticed before. And it's, um, so it's, it's definitely something we swim in. Sometimes with fear, it's a, it's a funny thing with fear. We don't talk about it that directly uh, in our society in general. We might say, geez, you know, it's scary. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do about retirement or I don't know what I'm going to do about my kid's college or whatever. We might acknowledge that it's scary, but actually going into turning towards it and taking a deeper look at what's involved and starting to notice um, that actually we might have uh, resources and confidence that's beyond those particular reactions. So talking about fear is really, I have always found really helpful, at least for me. So some of the things besides our society being so um, completely oriented towards uh, anxiety, which, by the way, I think comes from the fact that our society has gotten into this headset that richness or wealth in our lives is equated with how much money we have. And that's a really dangerous way of looking at things, because then you can never have enough, right? Uh, the whole idea that somehow they're the same things, a rich life and, and um, how much money we have, is um, something that is going to produce anxiety no matter what, because there's no actual way of being able to bridge that. However, if we step back, and this is basics, the basics of Shambhala teachings, if we step back and look at what is actual wealth, what is actual richness in our life, it is fundamental to us. It's not dependent on anything. It's not dependent on how much money we have, how much health we have. It's not dependent on our relationships. It's not dependent on anything other than our incredibly powerful, awake heart and mind the fundamental idea of basic goodness and that's not goodness versus badness 
but uh, that goodness of our aliveness is our wealth. That is something we take with us and cannot be taken away. So when we start from that standpoint, as adverse to the idea that we somehow have to get more money in order to have a rich life, we're starting from a very different place. And I think that's really important to how we shift an orientation, or how we work with our orientation. Now, it's also possible that if you're like me, you spend a lot of years saying, well, I have basic goodness, I have inherent wealth, so I don't have to, I can actually ignore what's happening in my financial world. I won't ask you how many of you might have had that same thing, but for years and years, I saw that not only in uh, my own spiritual community, but um, I've given a lot of talks at, you know, Catholic churches and, you know, other uh, spiritual, other uh, Buddhist groups and other spiritual uh, groups. And there's a tendency to do that as well, to kind of go, well, okay, you know, let's, let's do what's really important, which is true, uncovering your fundamental wealth, your fundamental richness is really important and touching that and keeping, keeping in touch with that. Um, is essential. And then there's this thing called money, which is really uncomfortable oftentimes, and can bring up all this anxiety and gee, it's a lot easier just to say I'm spiritual. And so I don't want to deal with that. Again, I don't know that any of you have ever had thoughts like that. But that happened to me. And um, I ended up getting in a fair amount of trouble with my financial life. And it had to kind of work my way out of it because I wasn't paying attention to this sort of um, uh, the way in which money can be of use to us and the way in which it's part of our householder existence that needs paying attention to. Just like uh, time is important, not because it is something that is a be all and end all, but because it's a um, a construct we have made as human beings that's actually really helpful to pay attention to. So um, I say that because uh, Chogim Trumper Rinpoche in his early days started to give talks about money and he was very clear that we need to be to know what the difference is between this fundamental richness of our lives. And he talked about money as really useful tools. And I've always found that analogy helpful, that money can be a tool for what is most important in your life. And that when we look at it from that direction, we see it as, um, we see money as something to pay attention to, to uh, make sure our tools are sharp or cleaned or, you know, um, properly put in the places they need to be put. So it's not the, um, it's not the highest thing. But on the other hand, it really can serve us as, um, as, you know, we might say as a servant to what's most important in our lives. When we start to make that shift, um, and understand money in that way, 
then we can look at how to work with our tools, how to work with that in ways that create more sanity and more sense of what I call, um, a lot of people have called financial well-being. Just that sense that, wait a minute, I can, I can work with the emotions, I can work with what happens, I can work with the fear, uh, things go up and down, but I don't have to completely um, uh, become unmoored. I can work with my financial life and actually direct it in such a way that I can have some sense of uh, strength and groundedness. When we do that, and when we're willing to work with um, our fear, as uh, Trump Rinpoche taught, when we're willing to notice it and work with it, then um, actually we notice that that energy is something we can ride. When we don't do that, when we just allow our fear to be something that we are captivated by, we, um, it, we get frozen. And in that frozenness, we miss the basic point that we have enormous resourcefulness. We have enormous creativity as human beings. We have um, a lot of possible resources that we may not even be thinking of because we get frozen around that fear. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how I think the Shambhala teachings really have um, uh, given us teachings and practices um, that we can do from that basic place of bringing out our inherent creativity and resourcefulness. Um, but first, I just thought I would see if any of you want to make any comments on what I've just been saying or have some things you'd like to throw in there. Hi, Debbie. Hi. I'm just going to add an extra element of um, the whole issue of money and family. It, it, I, I don't want to say more because I, it's a big issue. <laughs> it's a huge issue. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And uh, it, so there are so many ways we could talk about that. But one of the things that when you say that is that I think of is that's one of the ways in which we learn about emotional responses and reactions and one of the places where we get really caught in our interactions and communication around money is that is that at all like what you're referring to without you having to sort of share the whole deal yeah okay it's really important and it's i i think um family is like this little pod we grow up in as well that um we learn so much of our about our basic i might al almost say um physical reactions to money from our family when we're very little even before we can we know the words or we have any idea what you know people talking about in terms of spending or saving or whatever we feel the emotions when the subject comes up we can feel it in our bodies and sometimes in the classes that i teach i'll have people just go back and draw 
what they felt from their different parents. And it's um, often very different. Or if you, you had just one parent, like I did, um, you know, there's, uh, you, you really absorb a lot from that. Or maybe you had other people within the household, other family members or other people who you also absorbed things with. And that has an enormous way of shaping us going forward. Um, it often surprisingly, because there can be very different, you know, ways that people respond and react to money. But then we, we get as we go on and we become adults and we interact with our families, there's so many habitual patterns and so much response. So that's something we could spend a couple of years just talking about this morning. If we Thank you for bringing that up. Any other comments? Has anybody noticed that like uh, there's a way in which we might feel anxiety around money? Lori, good morning, Lori, or good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. <clears throat> it's funny, Joanne, until you and I have seen a lot of each other lately in Zoom, but until um, I was actually joining this call, I, I forgot. I think I first met you in your money weekend at Sonoma. I think you're right. And uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what year that was, you know, 07-ish. I have no idea. But And, and I just remember how transformative, how transformative it is. And it was then. So, for instance, what Debbie just said about family, I just remember you addressing these things that, I don't know, they just hadn't taken, they, they were, they were annoyances in my life or challenges in my life, but you know, putting them in the context of Dharma really adjusted my thinking a lot. So thank you. Just wanted to it's not that these things aren't the same as they were, but they've taken on a different role. Mm. You know, now they're just sort of like a oh yeah, sure I know. That's sure sometimes we feel that, yeah. Right. Thanks. You know, it's funny, we, a, a lot of what um, what I used to hear, and I don't hear this so much anymore, but a lot of what I used to hear in spiritual groups was that money was something else, like more real. Um, and so, you know, I would give these talks around money and um, and people would say, you know, that's all really great, but you know, money is real. And that's, let's get back to real life. And I, I always find that interesting because it's, um, it is very much uh, a, a real part of our practicality. It's, it's very much something that is uh, important to our lives. And at the same time, it's so interesting that um, when we really sit down to take a look at it, so much of what we assume about money is conceptual and so much about what we assume in our life um, is uh, is reactions and things so that the idea of um, bringing together mindfulness and bringing together these teachings with how we approach our money life becomes interesting. We start to notice how many concepts we have. 
that if we don't sort of separate money out as something else, then we notice, you know, we may just be sitting here. I don't know whether this was true for any of you just in our short sitting ahead of it this morning, but um, you may have noticed that you had different body energy or different thoughts that came up that were around money. And that the more that uh, we go into this, I think it's, it's more and more possible to see it as this very real, powerful, energetic force, but that it is um, as open as anything else. And so when I started uh, getting involved in this, and I was in such a mess with finances, which is always a great place to start. Uh, I was really curious because I felt like I was, I mean, I was, I was a Shambhala teacher, I was a counselor, I, you know, I been fairly, you know, uh, uh, smart about just reading things, but I had no clue how to actually approach it. And Chogyam Trungpa um, really uh, set out the Shambhala teachings to help us to begin to understand how to live a sane life. And that for those of you who might be familiar with the Shambhala teachings, we, he taught a whole series of teachings called the Four Dignities, um, which kind of broke up the different um, different aspects of teaching around money. But the one that really that we begin with, that I begin with, and that uh, I think personally I think can be very helpful, is just starting with a sense of uh, what we call the mindfulness of the tiger. And um, the, the basics of mindfulness, of just noticing and coming back again and again to being present and noticing all the things that arise in our mind, all the ways that, um, that we cut ourselves off, all the different emotional reactions. When we're doing mindfulness training, uh, we're just training ourselves to come back again and again to noticing that and continuing to breathe, continuing to feel our bodies, continuing to feel the environment we're in, and then the next thought comes up, and then different kinds of things happen. And we're just training ourselves to come back again and again. And in the language of Shambhala, that, that's the tiger carefully placing hers or his paws as they walk through the jungle, very alert, very awake, feeling in their body. Um, also, which might sound a little odd, um, with tremendous kindness and friendliness towards oneself, which by the way is, uh, there's a reason that we have to really notice if we judge ourselves. There's a reason we have to look if we get aggressive with ourselves or we're angry with ourselves around money. This is really starting to notice that is just another reaction and coming back to a sense of kindness. And so the tiger really has this quality of walking on the earth and um, 
you know, I was thinking this morning, boy, it's a great analogy given that like walking through the woods, I, I so often feel that with money. It's like, geez, there's all this different stuff going on. There's all these different kinds of things. And just coming back again and again to that sense of groundedness and um, uh, being present right now um, is tremendously important. And that's really the beginning of that sense of fearlessness is, again, it's fearlessness is not no fear, but uh, it is beginning to come back with some kind of confidence that I can just be present. I can be here. I can be present right now. Then we're off again. Or I can be present with these sensations or I can be present with whatever is going on in my mind. And we start to see that sense of flow. We start to see that it's not a solid thing and that we're not a solid thing. We start to really um, feel that sense of, okay, I can come back. I can come back. No matter what's going on, I can come back. So this quality of tiger really is the quality of um, connecting with ourselves powerfully and connecting in doing so with um, all kinds of possibilities and all kinds of uh, ways of taking a look at, hmm, what's, is there another view here? Is there another way of taking a look at this? Is there creativity I could be having that I'm not having right now? Facts are friendly. What happens now? So uh, it allows us to really take some kind of uh, um, uh, have more access to that intelligence, to have a more of a sense of money going back to being a tool as adverse to money being um, the, our only source of security, which is kind of an unkind thing that we tend to do, thinking of money as our only resource for security. Given the fact that we are all human beings, we're walking through a woods of birth, old age, sickness, and death. We acknowledge that as human beings, maybe we don't like it, but we, we acknowledge that many, many things arise as, uh, as situations in our life. And so this very, very basic fundamental practice to just being able to come back to this moment with a sense of kindness and heart um, begins to build that quality of trust. Trust in what, you know? It's really trust in our awakeness. So I wanna see whether that uh, sounds completely crazy to people or whether that uh, might be something that um, connects for you in any kind of way. Susan, good afternoon. Hi. Yeah, you know, I was also at the um, the money weekend many years ago, although in my mind, it was a level that you taught with Alan Schwartz. But I don't I don't know why that would have happened. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I remember at the time I, I'd been practicing for a while, but uh, we did get on this subject and 
I, you know, I come from a pretty leftist background, so I, I really did see a lot of it as a class issue, money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my reaction to it is, you know, it's not, it's not our only resource, so it's not as important as you think. What would have been, well, it's easy for you to say, mm-hmm. well, you know, how about, how about the people who can't make, can't make it through the week? Or if we have, or if they have a, well, nowadays there's <laughs> anything could could throw you off, but it was very um, that would have been, and I think that's a very it's a very important thing to understand in the context that there there are most people let's say many or most have a, a hard time just m- making ends meet and feeding their children many of them. Um, so I, but, but in my mind, that was, that obliterated any other consideration. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was such a, you know, for me, a, a one-way street and never could back out of it, you know. Um, and I, I have, I have been experiencing an ability to see it as much more, a, a, you know, a, in, in a much greater context and it's it's just enabled doesn't mean it's it's doesn't matter if you don't have money it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you um can't feed your children but it's enabled me to understand it in a in, it's very complicated but it but to understand it in such a way that i can be actually more useful and helpful to other people in 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 working with it and helping them deal with it so um yeah, I, it really has worked for me. And, and thank you. I've always, I've always wanted to do this follow up with you. And now that we're doing it, you know, I'm seeing, yeah, I remember where I was then and I see where I am now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that it was helpful. Um, and, yeah, Alan and I did some programs together as well. And I, I don't remember whether you were at that one or another one, but um, it sounds like you were at the one with Alan. But um, I just want to go back to, you know, your earlier concern as well, which is also completely important that um, we're, we're not talking about um, that somehow, you know, it's not some Pollyanna sort of approach of, oh, well, just realize it's all in your mind. And so then, you know, if you happen to be somebody living in abject poverty with four children, um, which by the way, I grew up in, um, it it's not like somehow you wave your mindfulness hand and that dissolves, that disappears. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. We know that at a certain level, you are much more um, prone to poverty. Uh, I mean, you're much more um, vulnerable, prone to vulnerability at a certain level of economics. And uh, so I don't at all mean to somehow dismiss that or make that yet another little spiritual tag. So I know I'm talking to your previous self, not your current self, but I think what you brought up is such an important um, thing. Uh, but what we're talking about here is how not to freeze in fear yeah, and how to come back to some kind of fundamental place 
um, of caring for yourself and your wake heart and mind as a place to be able to work with whatever is going on. And um, that, you know, that's something that uh, I think is useful at whatever level of vulnerability you might be. Um, because I really have seen amazing things that people do. I think we all have. Uh, but we also know that that understanding something about fear in the society you're in uh, is is key. That it it really is key to being able to um, work with whatever the situation is. And I think for Trump Rinpoche, one of the reasons he talked a lot about money and business and and why. Um, Marpa, who was a spiritual teacher who was a householder, was so important to him, was that he really did feel we were completely whacked out societally. And boy, we could get into that for quite a while um, and not the scope of this talk, but, uh, but that to the extent that we found our own sense of inner wealth and to the extent that we worked uh, from there, that it affected everybody around us and affected the society in general as well. And, you know, it's pretty amazing when that happens. I'd like to see it happen more. Um, I want to read a couple of texts and then uh, to Allison's question in a minute. Um, from William, uh, uh, by Trump or Rinpoche, this way of working with fear, do you mean putting it in a cradle of loving kindness? Can you give an example? Ah, that's a great one. Thank you, William. Uh, so it, uh, meaning our fear, our mind of fe fearfulness, there's a great phrase that William's um, reminding us of, which is put that mind of fear fearfulness in the cradle of loving kindness. What's an example of that? Um, I can say that when you sit down, to work with your finances at any given time. Uh, oftentimes, if you spend a few minutes just letting yourself breathe and feel your body and feel where you are, which is part of what we talk about putting our mind in a cradle of love and kindness. You notice the thoughts going on. You notice if you're having fear, you just acknowledge that and feel that sensation, but not from a point of judging, but from a point of just opening the space. Um, that would be one example of that. And uh, we might have other examples as well, but that's something that um, over the years in counseling people um, around their relationship with money, that's kind of a standard practice that I recommend, you know, before you deal with paying your bills or looking at how you're planning things or looking at what you've spent, <laughs> which can be shocking uh, and can really get away from you, that you actually spend a few minutes just putting any quality of whatever's going on into that cradle of loving kindness of sitting, feeling, being present. So um, I'm going to jump back and forth here a little bit. I want to say Rainbow's uh, message 
from my experience, my relationship with money becomes problematic when I get an attachment to it. And that leads to poverty mentality. Then it's no longer simply an energy exchange and it becomes a competition of loss and gain. Oh, thank you. Rainbow, that's, you're bringing up so many different important points there. Um, yeah, our attachment to it really does have to do with our concepts about um, what, uh, you know, uh, it, it has to do with what we think. Um, money is, the more money we get, we're going to be able to get ourselves out of our poverty mentality. That's a, that's a, that's a phrase that bears a fair amount of explanation. Poverty mentality really um, is about having our thoughts go to not enough. Um, and that everything then gets uh, sort of looked at within a, and colored by an overall reaction of never enough or not enough. Um, and the competition of loss and gain, oh boy, we could spend a lot of time with that one. Uh, and how uh, our associations with money have to do with pride and are we losing, are we gaining and all the things that go with that. So yeah, we're putting our mind of fearfulness in a cradle of loving kindness. We're definitely looking at those things coming, those thoughts coming, arising, dissolving and starting to really maybe even be curious about all of that. So thank you, Rainbow. Allison, you've been waiting with your hand up. Let me put that hand down. <laughs> um, thank you. This is wonderful. It's a wonderful discussion and so important. Um, I, I question the assumption of fear. Um, I may be naive and ignorant but I find that I have a level of trust that has worked for me. Um, as many of you know, I teach violin, and so students come and go, and my finances go up and down. But on several occasions, I've had a, you know, an upcoming car repair or a medical expense for my children or something like that. And I've used, well, I haven't used, I've just put some energy into, oh, I need more money. And in the next day or two, new students appear. And it can be any time of year, which is very odd. And it's happened quite clearly three different times. So I know that there's a lot of fear in society around money. And maybe I'm, again, being ignorant and avoiding. But I don't think fear helps us. And I found that by trusting, um, something different happens. And our minds are very powerful. So if I have a $900 car expense coming up, somewhere, somehow that money appears. And so I appreciated your saying, 
you know, yes, but money is real. Yes, and we can impact it through our thoughts and the universe, the power of the universe. And so anyway, what would you say to that? (laughs) Thank you. And also, um, you know, I think that since you're talking about a sense of trusting and that that trusting that you could work with what came up uh, was something that built over time. And, And Nancy also sent a check very similar to that, that that sense of trust builds and it builds through your experience. Um, And yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to lump you in with um, anybody else who, like me, who gets scared sometimes, but um, that, you know, but that we don't necessarily have to have our um, actions and reactions come from that place of fear. So I think you're you're giving some good examples of that. And I think uh, Nancy gave a good example about that in terms of aging and, and finding more and more that we could trust the situation we're working with it. And I, I think that comes from it, the, the less we sort of panic or react, or maybe we panic and react, but the more we work with it, that we feel ourselves in relationship um, to the larger world, we actually realize it's a living thing, and the 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 world at large, and that there are ways to work with that that perhaps we hadn't thought of before. Okay, um, I think those that was great. Thank you all, and I want to um, just say a few more things, and then um, our fearless leader, Nina. Uh, I know has some things to say, but I, I just wanted to say that um, there are, uh, I'm certainly not the only person to have worked with uh, looking at and working with different areas of the financial world with these teachings, Leith Matthews and Jesse Grimes and Sal Halpern, three wonderful people come to mind that um, I'll do financial planning. Alan Schwartz, Robert Reichner, who've done a lot of work in terms of entrepreneurship, Matthew Lyons. There are a number of people who have done really wonderful stuff. And um, I'm hoping that you all will will take this, if you haven't already, and if you have to continue, as part of your practice. It's a very earthy part of your practice, you know? It's kind of like cooking in a way. Uh, but because you, you know, eating and food are really essential. But the more that we, um, the more that we uh, work with it and trust and um, feel some relationship, the more that we actually, dare I say, can feel like we can enjoy this to some extent. That doesn't mean that. Um, that doesn't mean that all problems get solved immediately, but we start to appreciate the dance with it and start to work with that more. Um, Patricia asked for me to put names in the chat, those names in the chat, I'll do that. But the, um, you know, we start getting into what we might call the perky. For those of you who are familiar, the lion, uh, the snow lion aspect of the Shambhala teachings, which really have to do with 
um, learning as we lean in with our discipline, learning as we lean in with our discipline around money, that uh, that it starts to lighten up and and we can, as we said, can ride those ups and downs with more. The, uh, the last thing that I want to say, and let me just um, put this in the chat, those names. The last thing that I wanted to say is um, the importance of paying attention. <clears throat> And it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder to pay attention to actually relating in a direct way with the flow of our resources as it comes in and, and how we manage it as it's here and as uh, we offer it out. It's getting harder and harder because the farther and farther that we get away from trading gold with each other, or having physical, you know, cash that we hand to somebody at a store, you know, each of these things are farther and farther away from physicality. It um, it becomes harder and harder. It's like now we've got blips on a screen or blips on my phone. You know, if we even use credit cards anymore, it's touch screen. So um, it's more and more important actually that we make time for ourselves to sit down and. Uh, really just do that kind of relaxing with what's there and notice what's going on um, and maybe having a plan. I remember General Eisenhower said uh, uh, plans, are, plans are useless but planning is essential. Um, somehow making some kinds of plans about how do we want our tools to support uh, what's most important in our life. They'll never be enough money for a vague sense of enough money. And, and I would say that from having counseled people who have more buco bucks than I'll ever make in my life. It doesn't go away, that sense, but if you, um, if you actually tie it to what specifically is most important in my life and how can my resources support that, and what other resources do I have to support that, um, it becomes a lot more workable. Thank you, Johan, so much. That was brilliant. Um, so I do have just a few closing remarks. Um, the first one is just a reminder that the Sunday gatherings I always offered free of charge, <laughs> but donations are always welcome, so we can actually continue um, offering those. So if you feel inclined to make a donation, I'll put a link to the chat box where you can actually do it. Uh, and the second thing I'd like to say is Joanne has been uh, leading morning meditations every morning um, along with the Sonoma Shamala Center. And I'll put the link to their website. So if you're interested in you know, joining for some morning practice, Joanne, you can. Um, and some of the people here too, Nina, they'd recognize some of these wonderful faces on, online awesome. too. <laughs> That's great. And another note I'd like to make, uh, there is a program offered through Shambhala Online called Mindful, Mindful Money. Um, 
we're going to be talking about that with Joanne in the near future about possibly some new live sessions. So just to stay tuned about that, we might be um, re-offering uh, Joanne's program on Shambhal Online in the near future. Um, we're going to make sure you, you hear about it. So I just wanted to put that in your radar. And um, finally, I just uh, want to let you know that the next uh, Shambhala Sunday gathering presenter is Jonathan Kinker Dawn. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he'll presenting on grieving in Shambhala. So if you're interested, please join us again next Sunday. And last but not least, uh, thank you all so much for coming for taking the time to be here today. And thank you so much, Johan, for presenting. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I, I think I can speak for possibly the majority of the people here that this was really, really wonderful. So thank you so much. And I look forward to more. So thank you. Wait, Nina, one thing I wanted to say real quick, and that is the old Buddhist saying that if you feel like you don't have enough, give something away. So along the idea of donations, <laughs> you know, it's just generosity. We haven't even gotten to that yet in talking about this, but generosity is a key to feeling your own wealth. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a million dollars or one, that act is really important. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you all and uh, goodbye for now and to the next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We hope you can join us again soon. You can find out more about upcoming live Shambhala Sunday gatherings and our podcast at shambhalaonline.org forward slash Sunday dash gatherings forward slash.